Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Track Podcast. My name is Steve Phoebe and my co-host Steve Curry. Steve, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Out on the trails doing some practice runs and noticing it's warming up so the humidity will no, ba- no doubt start in a couple of weeks. Still comfortable these days though, Steve. Yeah, it is. It's uh, Actually, wasn't it the lowest day of humidity uh, a few days ago? It was like 22% or something silly like that. And it's still pretty cool in the evenings as well. So as soon as the sun goes down, you can feel the temperatures coming down, which is pretty good. So yeah, we've got a long weekend coming up. I think that's the last opportunity for comfortable running and then uh, summertime fun. Well, comfortable running. Well, this morning I uh, left my house and I went to, uh, I just drove to the Saiwan Pavilion and then I thought I would run to the beaches, basically Saiwan and Hampton. It was kind of sad to see all the uh, tents that have sprung up there. They're like little tent cities uh, and the, uh, the trash. You know, I saw some people must have had a big party or something on her Saiwan beach, but there's people sleeping amongst the trash, you know, plastic bags, bottles. Uh, I saw masks everywhere. I even saw a couple of used rat tests uh, in amongst all the rubbish. So it, it's pretty sad, but you know, we need to, I know we say it a lot, but be, people must know, they need to know that whatever they carry in, they should carry out and just leave the country parks as pristine as they found it basically or as it should be uh but yeah it's a shame but basically yeah that's what i've been doing just running around Saikung uh park really i did do Shan. i did something called the elephant's gate and the lost goose trail which was uh, uh a bit hairy in some parts uh, especially with the ropes and stuff and the sheer drops that you got to do but yeah exploring some new trails and stuff but uh so you're just doing training? Are you doing anything else? Not really, Steve. Um, I kind of dropped off for a while just because I had no goals. Um, mm, like, yeah. I haven't been doing virtual races. They're not my thing. <laughs> a lot of people enjoy them. Um, each to yeah, their yeah I, I was doing a lot of them like in 2020 and some last year, but I've kind of lost interest with them now. Uh, what I have been doing is there's this app called Stride. Uh, you can get it in Hong Kong, but it's it's global. And it's basically, it connects up with your Strava, and it's kind of like a game where it's div- Hong Kong's divided up into hexagons, and your job is to go and capture a hexagon. So when you go for a run out on a trail, uh, there's so many hexagons uh, you can get as you run along. Uh, the more times you do it, the darker the color goes. But the interesting thing is another runner could come along who is also using this Stride app and could capture that territory from you. So it's it's interesting, and it's making me uh, plan my routes uh, differently so I can get more of these hexagons. I know you know it's a middle-aged thing, you know, playing games on your phone and stuff like that, but it's actually getting me out there and to go different routes and actually plan different routes to catch these hexagons. And, yeah, just explore a bit more and see a different few more places. As I said, there's no races at the moment. You can't be out uh, with more than one other person. So, uh, yeah, it's just something uh, else to do. Oh, Steve, there's this other thing I did. I got this uh, new item called a Garmin, uh, but not the watch. It's one of these handheld GPSs. You're probably thinking, why do I need one of those? Yeah, why do you need one of those? Well, uh, sometimes I do like rooster hill repeats, something like that. And it is a black spot. 
basically. There's no cell coverage there. Now, this is a pretty chunky. It's like those old 1990s-style telephones. Basically, it's got a big screen on it. It's got some buttons, but it's not touchscreen, so you can use the buttons. I did actually purchase it for uh, the Spine Race next winter because you need a GPS unit that's going to work whilst you've got your thick gloves on, uh, basically, and not touchscreen, because touchscreens, as you know, when it's wet and there's gales, they're pretty useless. So I got this item off Amazon, got it delivered, but it's got this something called in-reach technology where you subscribe to it, and basically it uh, connects with the uh, Iridium satellites in the sky, so people can always see where you are, even if there is no cell coverage. Now, for me in Sai Kung, and I know there's places on Lantau as well and in the New Territories, where there is no cell service. So basically, if anyone's tracking you or if you need to make an SOS or an emergency call or something like that, you know, yeah, I'd have a choice of connecting onto a Chinese network, uh, which a lot of people don't have. Or there's just absolutely no network at all, like some places in Sai Kung, like uh, Rooster Hill. Uh, but the thing is, this will work. This will work in those areas where there is no cell coverage. It doesn't connect to the cell towers. It connects to the Iridium satellite network. So you can send and receive text messages. You know, if, uh, for example, if my wife asking me, you know, where are you? Not, I can't see you on the map. I can just send a text message straight away from the device and say, yep, I'm fine. You know, I'm here. Everything's going along. It's got a big SOS button on it. So you just flip the cover press the SOS button and then, uh, you know, rescue comes along. So it doesn't matter if you've got cell service or not. So it's a a pretty uh, useful, uh, very rugged piece of gear, which I've got. It's not something I would use if I'm going on a short run, but as a safety device, if I'm like got a pack or something on, you know, it's something that I would have. And I would recommend for those that do go into the backcountry quite a lot with backpacks and stuff and uh, want that extra bit of safety or something there so they can always be you know, in touch with the outside world in case something bad happens. Good idea. It's always good to tell people where you're going and to be able to be contactable or contact someone at all times. So yeah, good advice, yeah. Steve. Well, yeah, we are getting to that season uh, where you know, lots of accidents happen, you know, helicopters are starting to fly again, rescuing people that uh, haven't done a few... Uh, I've not organized them, but basically assisted in a couple of helicopter rescue myself. It's always difficult to explain, especially if you're off the track, if you're bushwhacking somewhere, to explain to the helicopter pilots or the emergency services where exactly you are. You know, you can take a screenshot of a GPS location and WhatsApp it to them. Uh, I did have an incident on Mars Shan and then once recently uh, on uh, Faino Shan, Suicide Cliff, where I assisted a guy there that basically had overcome with the heat and uh, had to get a helicopter up there. And it's basically letting the helicopter pilots know where exactly we are. But with this in-reach technology, when you get in touch with them, they pinpoint and they know exactly where you are when basically the uh, call goes out. So it is a very useful and uh, potentially life-saving piece of kit. Glad you could help the guy. I uh, once did help someone who was very low on blood sugar level with a bottle of Ribena, funnily enough, which I was was carrying. So, yeah, I mean, as it heats up, do just remember to take enough fluids and tell someone where you're going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually in these hot summer months, I do plan my runs basically where there's streams or anything like that to cool off. So, basically, we're going to have to, 
know that the heat's coming in and uh, we have to just take those extra precautions to hydrate and uh, to keep cool. So, uh, yes, uh, in the meantime, is there any other news? I think I've only got one other thing to quickly discuss. Uh, have you heard about the hand loops? And that's not... What it's not that? it's not Will Haywood's friend from Taiwan. It's uh, actually the Han Loops is uh, named after a certain lady in Lantau who's come up with this crazy, crazy idea of running a loop. I think it's starting on April the 20th. Uh, it's a loop of around about 20-odd kilometers, and there's uh, some crazy amount of elevation going over Sunset and Lantau Peak. Uh, there's a bit of bushwhacking as well, but the aim is to do five loops. So it's kind of a, it does sound a bit like uh, a Barkley Marathons uh, type of thing. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'll be watching it. I, I haven't got the fitness to partake in it. Uh, I've got a sick notes anyway, so uh, I won't be doing it to myself or having a go. But I think there's going to be a few crazy people and it's something we're going to hear about uh, over the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'll keep an eye out on that if you can. Sure will. I mean, one thing that has been good to see with no races is some people have been doing some very creative stuff. But anyway, what do we got coming up on this edition of the podcast? Uh, okay, so today on this podcast, uh, I have a chat with Casey Morgan, who's an online coach who's been to Hong Kong a few times, and he does coach quite a few uh, Hong Kong runners, including myself. Uh, and then uh, me and you, we interview a, a very inspirational lady, Betty Grissoni, uh, who had a sensational Facebook post and a sensational response on her amazing story of uh, basically in the space of two years going from how she was, which was what, over 130 kilos to becoming, uh, doing her very first 50k ultra. So that I'm really looking forward to. That's going to be a very good interview. So yes, that's what we have. Great. I mean, I said before, virtual races are not my thing, but she just did her first 50K in an Action Asia West, I think it was, virtual race, and uh, a great achievement from her. So I look forward to hearing from her later. But first of all, Casey Morgan, I understand he's your coach, Steve. Yes. Tell us a little bit, why. what's your story? Why did you decide to get a coach? I had a few races. I've been with Casey a few years now, uh, three, four years, I guess, something like that. And I heard about it from, again, from that certain lady on Lantau. And, uh, you know, I looked on his website. It, you know, it seemed pretty structured uh, fit. And I thought, okay, let's give it a go. I want some structure, some training program, because I had signed up to a few big races. So I wanted to see what the benefit would be, the training program to get ready, get race ready. You know, I'm not there to get a podium place or anything like that, but I just want to finish, but finish in the most comfortable way and, you know, be prepared, basically. And uh, this is why I went with him, and uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's great. Uh, he has made me uh, push my barriers, uh, made me do some crazy things as well, uh, which has been great. And, uh, yeah, uh, highly recommend him. Uh, there are other online coaches as well, but, yes, Casey – is known in Hong Kong for quite a few people. He has actually, he did win the Nine Dragons race. Uh, you know, so, uh, and there's an interesting story he's going to tell about when he did the uh, Trail Walker race here in Hong Kong a few years ago. So, uh, yes, that's Casey for you. Well, obviously no slouch if he won Nine Dragons. So let's hear <laughs> what he has to say. 
Hello, and this evening I have joining us uh, Casey Morgan, all the way from Mallorca in España. Casey, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, Steve. Good to speak to you again. Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's not been that long, has it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry for the time zone mix-up. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, I got my time zones confused. Uh, I can't tell the difference that six hours uh, behind 7 p.m. is actually 1 p.m. and not 2 p.m. But anyway, uh, I was never good at maths. Well, it's the dog you should be apologising to, Steve, because we had to cut her walk short, so you can take it up with her. All right, okay. Well, you can go back out afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So, Casey, uh, you are a renowned trail runner, also a coach. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your background? Um, well, I actually started, I've been a coach much longer than I've been a runner. Um, okay. my, my career background, I was a, a sports therapist and moved into personal training. And when I got into personal training, um, I, I always hated running, to be honest with you. I was a cyclist. Um, but when I got into personal training, I started doing a bit of running with some clients as they were working towards maybe a 10K or this kind of thing. And before I knew it, I was in a running club. And the next thing I was racing different types of races, different places. And then I found trail running and never looked back, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you you started on track, I guess? Uh, roads. I started with right. like five five k. In fact, I started doing like park run would be the the first kind uh, of okay. Yes, yeah. yeah. Organized events I would do regularly. Yeah, and uh, I guess you progressed. do like a yeah. So I guess then from there you moved on to trail because I'm I'm looking at some of the races that you've done. Uh, the Devil O the Highlands uh, Ultra Marathon Costa del Almira. I think my pronunciation might be off on a few of these. Yeah, we need to work on the pronunciation, Steve, especially if you're going back to Tenerife this year. Yes, yes. uh, Yeah, it depends how many races you uh, wrote me into again. (laughs) (laughs) Everest Trail Race. uh, So that's one I can pronounce. And also you came first in the Nine Dragons 50-50, which those of us in Hong Kong would know of. Uh, Some people might have forgotten. It's been that while since we had a race here. Uh, But also OTW. You came third in OTW. What year was that? Um, That would be, I think, like five years ago, six years ago, maybe. Ah, okay. Was it the uh, Nepalese that won that year? Um, No, I think it was... uh, I think it was a local team. There's a story that goes with that one, which a lot of the the Hong Kong trail runners will be familiar with. Um, We came over as the compressed sport team at the time, and the Nepalese team went off like a rocket, as is traditional for those guys, I believe. Yeah, So. We went with them, and around 3K into the race, we were sent on a particular path by the police, and they assured us it was the right way. So we continued along the path, which maybe seven or eight kilometres later brought us back out exactly at the start line. So we, ah, <laughs> we yes, started I again. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we started again with, like, more than an hour behind the rest of the field. Um, but we'd come a long way to, to race, so we decided just to continue anyway. And 
unfortunately, one of the team was having a particularly bad day. So we were towing him from maybe, I, th- I think, about 20 kilometres into the race until the end. So we took it in turns to pull him. And, yeah, it was a, a hard-fought third place in the end. <laughs> yeah, I do remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah. Did- did they? Uh, did you speak to OTW? Did they give you any time back or anything like that for the miscommunication? No, they, there was there was talk about they were going to give us time back, etc. Uh, but nothing ever materialised with it. And yeah. the strange thing about it was when we were diverted down this other path, there were the same course markings or extremely similar course markings were down this this alternative path, and I believe it was for a walking event that was happening that day at the same time or or something similar. So, yeah, that's why we thought, because Julian Choria, who was in the team, he had Mm. ran the race previously with Salomon, and he he said, no, this is not the way. And I'd been, like maybe six weeks before, I'd been and done a recce of the course, and also I thought, this is is unusual. (laughs) But when we saw the markings, we we assumed it was maybe a, a new route or... Or something. Um, yeah, just wondering where it was because the first ten k's actually all road. Just yeah, wondering, I think I'm trying it was, to think if is it like a dam that you cross or something like that? Yes, just yeah, the, right before at the beginning of that dam, we were right. turned off to to the right. Yeah, and, yeah, I know it. So that's uh, that's where the Hong Kong one hundred. Uh, they go up the road a little bit, but they then they go on trail uh, okay. just after the start. Whereas uh, OTW carries on up the road on Mac yeah. One, but basically the Hong Kong One Hundred uses that trail, which is a fantastic trail. I take my dog on it all the time. Uh, but yeah, I can see where it, it brought you out very close to the start because it brings you down exactly. by the uh, bottom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that must have been gut wrenching. That. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, the other one. Yeah, the other one people will know of is the the Nine Dragons Ultra, the fifty fifty. Now I know that race. I've just done the fifty k one, uh, and that that's a brutal race. Uh, uh, Steve Carr and uh, yeah, he, he's sick in the head for doing that one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but how how did that? How did you fare along with that? I mean, coming first, quite an achievement. Yeah, I enjoyed that race actually. I'd been. Um... I'd had a rough winter with injuries, so I'd really only been training properly for maybe three weeks or so going into that race um, and decided just to use it as a test to see where I was. And yeah, it was, I seem to remember the first stage, um, I was running with Kazafumi from Japan. And okay. he was uh, he was only doing the, the 50 miles, which... Mm. I wasn't hundred percent sure about the time, so I was I was with him all throughout the night, and I didn't know if he was actually a rival or if he was only doing that one that one stage. So uh, I didn't realize I didn't have to race Kazafumi because he wouldn't count for the overall the following day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but as it happened, I think he blew up quite badly, maybe. 20k from the end and I could slow down and save something for the following day but the the both stages are quite tough I seem to recall they're, Very there's hilly, not a lot yes. of easy running in them tight cutoffs as well yeah so it's a I remember it's a very hilly one I haven't done it uh well it's been as like I said it's been a few years uh, Ian Corliss came over to do the uh report on it the last one 
uh, which got cancelled uh, just after he arrived, uh, all at the last moment, all because of COVID. Yeah, uh, but I yeah, this. it's yeah, yeah, very hilly section, and you end up in the film studio where there's lots of beer and uh, big barbecue. Uh, very That's right, the finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good, uh, good race. Very nice race. Yeah, and how many other times have you been over to Hong Kong? Uh, you come over, is it work-wise, or you just come over just to compete in races? Just to compete in races. I, I came over, the first time um, was like six weeks before the uh, the trail walker the first time. We were, we were flown over, you know, Matt Moroz? Yeah. The company he was working for at the time, China Mountain Trails, it was them who had, Matt on their behalf had contacted us and, and said, would you like to come and represent us in this race? You can be our team. So I went over like six weeks before to to run the course with Matt over the space of three days or something. Came back six weeks later for the race. And I think since then I came back another three times. Um, yeah, I think five times in total. I came back for the Nine Dragons, came over once for the... Hong Kong 100, but um, I tore my calf the day before the race, oh, so good. yeah, so I didn't do that one. Um, and I think I've been over one more time. But yeah, I've only actually done a couple of races there. So, how do you find the trails here compared to, say, in Spain? Um, much more runnable in Hong Kong. That, that's well. That's not entirely true. Spain has such a variety, I guess, but here in Mallorca, the trails are really technical. It's really, really yeah. rocky. Um, there's not there's not a lot of fast running here. Uh, in different parts of Spain, though, you have some much smoother trails. Even the, the different islands here, Menorca, for example, is, um, it's completely different. It's much flatter, much faster. Uh, but Hong Kong, the trails are, well, obviously there's a lot of steps, there's a lot of... Yeah, that's that's the one thing I noticed compared to like racing in the UK <laughs> and uh, racing in Tenerife. Uh, Tenerife, we couldn't find any concrete. Steps are made out of stones, giant slabs. Uh, exactly. Everything's very technical, and you don't want to wipe out on it because most of it is volcanic rock, which exactly. is pretty abrasive. In fact, that race that, uh, that you did in Tenerife, I didn't want to tell you beforehand, but... I still have several scars on my leg from that particular race <laughs> where I, I took a wipe out. Oh, which part would have that have been? I guess that would have been like the second climb up from the coast. It was the, f- I think the first big descent after the first oh, big Oh yeah, the first, yeah, because those descents are steep. I was, uh, I mean, yeah. it was muddy, but there was rocks exactly. as well. And I was going down those things slowly because, uh, yeah, not knowing the Some trails, those- but, but <laughs> those tight yeah. corners when it's a little muddy it's it's very dangerous yeah, yeah. but uh so uh, going on to coaching uh so you've been coaching uh longer than you've been running so yeah, yeah. Just tell us a little bit about your coaching background so i started um as a personal trainer um just coaching the general population and as I progressed more into running myself, I focused more on the running side of things and got qualified as a running coach. Um, several different coaching qualifications um, throughout the years. And yeah, I, I guess I started working with different running teams in, in Scotland. Um, the national squad included because 
I think with that background of sports therapy, personal training, strength and conditioning and running myself, I had quite a good skill base to, to work with people at that level. So it just kind of developed from there. And I moved into completely online coaching around four years ago when I moved to Mallorca. Hmm. Yeah. Um, up until then, it was mainly face-to-face, uh, all one-to-one stuff. Um, but now it's exclusively online. Do you have any uh, live people uh, that you coach? Uh, that, no, you know? not, any, not anymore. It's, it's something I, I planned on doing it when I moved to Mallorca. Um, mm. But the, the online stuff took off a lot quicker than I anticipated, to be honest. So um, I decided to, just to focus on that full time. Okay. So explain to us, what's, what would you say is the benefit to someone who doesn't have a coach uh, it's just a general runner, but it's thinking of, you know, maybe taking it a step further. So what would you say are the key benefits to having a coach? I think it's, it's different for different people, Steve. Um, some people are super motivated, super disciplined. They just lack the structure. They, they lack the knowledge to, to get them from where they are right now to where they want to be. Um, other people they need someone to hold them back, for example. They're, Hong Kong is particularly bad for this, I guess. And yeah. I, I was thinking about it before before we spoke today because I think Hong Kong attracts a certain type of person. It tends to be like the, the people in Hong Kong tend to be quite successful people. They're driven people. Result-orientated, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. So with those kind of people... Very often it is a case of looking at their training. A lot of people, they've come to me because what they're doing isn't working. And when I look at their, their background, it's quite obvious why it's not working. They're, they're hammering themselves week after week after week. There's no there's a lack of quality and a lack of recovery. And yes. that's, the, that's the thing that it takes a bit of buying into for for people of that personality type that sometimes less is more so it it can be that can be a a benefit of having a coach um for other people it's simply they're new to the sport and they they don't really know anything about it about how to improve how to train how to recover how to eat how to sleep like it's just finding the balance around their life so it's really it's different for different people Yes, I can imagine. I mean, I learned a lot uh, just the first few weeks uh, I was uh, with you. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of important things to take into account uh, when it comes to you know how to get ready for a race and what to do afterwards, tapering and all this stuff. So uh, I know there's a lot of stuff. We mentioned about injury. What would you say is the most, I don't know, common injury that you find? Um, in trail runners, the, the common ones are ankle injuries, obviously. It's just with the nature of trail running, the, the unpredictable surface. So ankle sprains, but a lot of overuse injuries, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis or tendinopathy, um, your regular muscle pulls, muscle tears. Um, mm. Yeah, just all the, all the ones that you, you hear people talking about at races all the time. 
Yeah, and I guess that's the benefit of uh, having a coach is when you do get an injury, like myself at the moment, I've got, uh, you know, I'm still suffering from a bad back from the spine. Uh, but also I've got Morton's neuroma that has popped up on my foot, which I find very annoying. And I get, sometimes it's good, you know, today I did a 42K and had no problem. Sometimes I do 5K and it's absolutely killing me. Uh, So, you know, it's getting those tips on how to recover, what to do, and more importantly, what not to do, uh, I guess is the uh, main thing. Uh, How important would you say is recovery? It's it's everything, Stephen. This is the this is the message that I try to get into people right from the beginning that the the recovery is just as important as the training. And without the recovery, the training is it's a waste of time um, because you only adapt to the training during the recovery phase. So one without the other is is pointless. And you'll see people they'll they'll pile big week after big week after big week. And they're not making any gains, and and that's why there's no. It's just stress after stress after stress. There's no, there's no time to absorb that training if you like and adapt to it. Mm. Okay, uh, just got a couple of questions that have just popped up on my screen. Uh, uh, John Ellis, he's asking me, uh, what's the training mistake that most trail runners make? Um. Doing too much, <laughs> without doubt, is doing too much. But another one also is it's the the lack of quality. I think it's very easy, especially in, in ultra running, that we just like to go out and run for many, many hours. Every week is, is the same. There's no variation. There's no real high intensity and periods of recovery. Um, so, yeah, the... It's being that one speed, one speed pony. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I that I can get definitely gets because uh, I I often fall into that trap. You know, I have this thing. <laughs> it's easy I to want to spend. T- yeah, I just want to spend more time on feet. You know, when I think of doing these long ones, I always consider that. You know, if I do a few forties, fifties, sixties, just to you know get used to being on my feet all the time uh, yeah and that's important also but yeah. it's important that you find you find the balance yes yes uh so how uh something that like i never knew beforehand uh before uh i started with you but uh also i hear this word a lot now it's tapering so for like for people that you know they've only done one or two races uh you know what can you explain what's the benefit of tapering and what exactly is it well tapering is it's when you've you've trained for an event um, you've got the volume you've got the intensity um for the well it's different for different people the the length of time that they you like to taper at or or the event can be different but it's basically that period two or three weeks before an event where you drop the volume so that your body adapts to all the training that you've done. It gives you a chance, your muscles to recover. It gives you a chance to replenish your your muscle glycogen so that come race day, you're fresh, you're sharp, and you're in the best condition you can be for race day. Okay. So, uh, and there's there's carb backloading. We hear a lot of this uh, this word uh, where you know you stuff yourself with pasta the night before, or you just try and get as many carbs in the night before. Does that actually have any benefit? 
Well, that's something that's, there are benefits to carb loading, but it needs to be done in a in a very specific way. And filling yourself with pasta the night before isn't the best way. (laughs) But also something to think about for for trail runners especially, it's not really essential that we are 100% full of carbs because we have packs, we have feeding stations, and we're going to be taking on nutrition during the races. So it's different for like a marathon where your opportunities to take in calories are are quite limited, especially running at that kind of intensity. Hmm. But for the vast majority of, sorry, the vast majority of us running an ultra marathon, we don't need to be carbohydrate loading because you're loading as you go, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you burn it all off in the first few hours anyway. And if you're doing like 24 hours, it's not going to be, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you could... I always tell people just to eat the regular diet in the in the lead up to events because your your volume has reduced during that one or two weeks anyway. So with the less volume, if you suddenly go eating tons and tons of pasta, the only thing that's going to happen is you turn up on race day bloated yeah. <laughs> and feeling generally sluggish. So. Yeah, it's, there's a time and a place for it, but for 99.9% of us, it's, it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say during the race when it comes to diet-wise? What would – I know everyone is different, but what would you say is the best thing to avoid? Like for me personally, uh, when I go to aid stations, I avoid any meat. Uh, I just don't want anything heavy to digest. Uh, you know, I like go for nuts, get a bit of salt, get some gummy bears or sweets and stuff like that. But what would you say is, you know, you would recommend to avoid, basically? It's different for for different people, Stephen. Number one, meat, I would agree. Avoid that at uh, an station because yeah. it's fats and protein. And ultimately, you want carbohydrates during the race because it's fast and it's what fuels your muscles. Um, around nutrition for race day it's something that you really need to practice this in the weeks and months before the event so Mm. on your long run day every week um, that's the time to be practicing with different types of products how much of that product you can take what kind of intensity you can absorb that product at um, working around the hydration that goes with that there are, there's some general rules of thumb that people can follow, but they need to find the products for themselves. So, for example, it's going to be really difficult for your body to absorb any more than around 300, 350 calories per hour. Mm. And the best way of getting that is from carbohydrates, gels, these kind of snacks, uh, bars, etc. But you need to find which ones your stomach can tolerate. And if you're taking in any more than that, you're just putting excess stress on your system and that's when you're going to get GI issues, bloating, bathroom breaks, that kind of thing. Um, But also to absorb that that kind of load whilst you're running, you also need the right amount of hydration to go with it. Otherwise, the concentration of sugars in your stomach is too high and again, you're going to experience these problems. So it's something that you really need to experiment with in training every week uh, so that on race day there's no surprises because 
if you can nail the nutrition, if you can get that right, then racing becomes a whole lot easier. It's like a another world. Yes, yes. Oh, that's really good. Uh, really good advice there. <laughs> I mean, me myself. Uh, yeah, I rely on the aid stations, but sometimes, uh, like when I did the spine, I was totally on my own for. Uh, there was no aid station. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, there there was a couple of mountain rescue teams that they had uh, coffee and biscuits and stuff like that. But basically you had to be self-supported, although you were allowed to go to the pub and have a meal as long as you paid for it. That's quite an aid station, Steve. (laughs) Uh, No alcohol, unfortunately, but uh, well, fortunately, (laughs) I guess. But, But yeah, I can see that you know, you re- it's something that really has to be uh, taken into consideration quite a lot. Uh, also, what would you say, you know, uh, myself, I get cramps. Uh, I used to get them a lot, not so much anymore now. But what would you say, because I know that other people are different, but what's one of the most common ways of keeping the cramps away, basically? Well, cramps is a funny thing because always the assumption in the past was it was it was salts so that were to blame and dehydration, etc. But the most modern research would say that it's actually fatigue, like at a muscular mm. and a, a neuromuscular level. So it's interesting that you say that you used to suffer from it and not so much anymore. And that's probably because your legs are more conditioned. So yeah. that fatigue is less likely to happen. But conversely, something that's quite interesting is you don't even need to ingest a salty solution. Just when you have cramp, rinsing it in your mouth is enough to switch off that cramp response. So there must be some kind of connection with salts there somehow. Um, but generally, if you're, if you're very well conditioned um, to run, cramps should be less likely to happen. And I know in Hong Kong, people suffer cramps terribly. But I think that's not is not likely to be most likely to be from the the salts, the electrolytes. I think it's more to do with because they're trying to perform at a high intensity in that heat that's yeah. causing the fatigue rather yeah. than if they modify their intensity for the temperature, which is difficult in Hong Kong, I understand. And yeah. the cramps are less likely. Um, but it's something that it's not fully understood. Uh, so far, but certainly everything is now pointing towards fatigue as opposed to electrolytes. So these, yeah. I know, what's what's the one that's common in Hong Kong? Cramp fix, is it? Yeah, cramp fix. Uh, yeah, I actually, I used to use it a lot, not so much anymore. But I remember, oh, well, I was I think I was doing the OTW with a friend of mine, Ian Benson. And uh, yeah, I gave him some, he had some cramps and I gave him some and uh he almost wretched. He goes, what the hell is this? It's this absolutely foul and disgusting. And he was moaning about it. And I said, yeah, but how are your cramps? <laughs> I think it was because it was so disgusting. He totally forgot about the cramps. The cramps had moved from his legs taste. to his stomach. Yeah. Uh, I think it was basically just the revolting taste in his mouth. Basically, his mind went straight to there, you know, instead of yeah. like on his legs. Yeah. But uh, we have an event here, Moon Trekker, uh, which is in October. And that's kind of at the period when the humidity goes down and it's done at night. So you're not under the intensity of the sun. And on Moon Trek, of course, uh, at the very end, you go up uh, Lantau Peak. 
and uh, you got the steps from the wisdom path. And every time I go up there uh, in the last few times, I see so many people cramping up and they have their sprays and uh, they have uh, salt sticks and all this. And I guess it's Moon Trekker is a good entry level sort of race where people do trail races for the very first time. It was in my case as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you were saying, it's more conditioning and everything. Uh, you get them less and less. But Moon Trekker is a classic. Going up those, conc- you know, those big stone steps, and you just see loads people of cramping everywhere. <laughs> cramping everywhere. We even have a, a bench which we call Cramper's Bench, where people just basically sit there and just massage their legs. Uh, to tell you the truth, I did actually get cramp in uh, when I was doing the spine, but it was basically. I think it was unusual movements I was doing, which is when I was jumping over the streams because I didn't really want to go waist high into water, freezing water. So I guess it was like the lunges and the long jumps, which obviously I didn't train for and I wasn't used to doing like a long jump event, which it was. And I did, <laughs> and when I landed a couple of times, I did get cramped because of that. So I guess when you go out of your natural sort of uh, stride and you do something different, cramps can come along. So. Exactly, you're providing a different type of fatigue than your legs are conditioned for. But we'll know for next year, Steve, for the spine. Yeah, we'll need yeah, to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need to get some long jump training. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> keep an eye on the weather. Let's see. Yeah. Hopefully, I, I prefer it if it was very snowy and the rivers were frozen. I can handle that. It's it's uh, fl- fast flowing rivers with chunks of ice going down it. I'm not really so so. <laughs> So what would you also, uh, speaking of races and at the end and diet and stuff like that, what would you recommend to do after a race, right after a race? What's the best thing, you know, for your body to recover quicker after a race? Well, there's plenty, there's plenty of recovery, specific recovery drinks available, um, which I guess is a good place to start. Um, people always talk about the glycogen window, um, mm. or the protein synthesis window. It's a couple of hours post-race or post-training where, your body's most receptive to absorbing the um, the calories that you've lost and uh, absorbing the protein to repair the muscles that's damaged. So there's lots of, I think every sports brand does their own type of recovery drink, usually just a powdered one that you mix with water. Or alternatively, just eat well post-race. Uh, get some good carbohydrates, whether it be rice, pasta, potatoes, or anything like this, and some protein to go with it. Um, the easiest thing, I guess, for, for meat eaters is to have some kind of uh, animal-based protein. Or people who, do, who don't eat meat, uh, they tend to be quite clued up on what kind of proteins they can get from different foods. So as long as you're getting, I think the, the balance is one part protein to four parts carbohydrates is the best ratio post-race. Okay. Can one of those four be beer? It's a very good carbohydrate, I believe, Steve. And yeah, some I even thought. have good isotonic properties. <laughs> yeah, I always like a good beer after putting so. Yeah, that's it's good. very common here, actually, in Spain. At the, the finish line in most races, they, they hand out beer. Um, most of it, I think, is alcohol-free. But uh, some races, it'll be, it'll be real beer. Yeah, the one you signed me up to, the K42, was alcohol-free. I had a, I had an espresso at the end of the race. Oh, very <laughs> so, nicely. Very, very European. Yeah, so and I had a good chat with the RD after that. Uh, but yes, <laughs> I can, uh, there, was, there was pubs nearby, but uh, I, was just, I just couldn't be bothered. Uh, I, just wanted to, <laughs> I knew I had a long bus trip to get back home and then uh, 
So, uh, but anyway, yeah. Oh, uh, got another question from John Ellis. Uh, if you had a single piece of advice to a trail runner wanting to get better, what would it be? Well, a single piece of advice would be to be consistent. Um, I think the number one magic bullet of training is consistency. And it certainly trumps you could have. I see people who previously they put in one super week every six weeks, but then it leaves them destroyed the following week and uh, the coming weeks they're not so consistent. Overall, that one super week counts for nothing. Whereas if you had six average to good weeks, then you'd see a steady progression. And I think in, in any kind of training, the, the number one key is cons- consistency. Okay, good. Uh, got another one. This one's from Steve Corey. Uh, are you willing to put a percentage on physical versus mental in terms of maximizing potential? I think it's, it's 50-50. You, you don't have one without the other, I think. Without the mental mm-hmm. side of it, you just don't get the, the consistency, as we just spoke about. You need to have... It's very easy to be motivated at the beginning of a training block or as you begin to train for a particular race, but that motivation can disappear for a variety of life stressors. And that's where um, discipline comes in. So it's that mental strength to to get it done regardless Um, because not every run is fun. Um, We've all been through periods where we think, oh, not tonight. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's it's 50-50. You need to have both. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes, yes. Uh, what would you say? There's one one thing I wanted to ask: benefits of uh, other activities whilst you're training uh, for trail running, like yoga and uh, any other activities. Uh, you know, is there other things you can go side by side that would work as a benefit? Yeah, I think um, I think yoga is is a great thing for runners. It just maintains that good flexibility and, and balance and, and core strength. Um, you'll know from our time together, Steve, that everybody I work with, I like them to do strength and conditioning work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just from an injury prevention point of view, um, more than anything else, um, just because in running, it's very easy to develop these imbalances where we can favour one side over the other, and that's where overuse injuries develop. So if we can keep the body really well balanced, then the incidence rate of these um, like Achilles tendinopathy or uh, mm. plantar fasciitis, these kind of things. If your body's strong and in balance, these things are less likely to happen. Okay, good to know. Oh, I've got a, there's a question from Steve Brammer. Uh, oh, it's unusual. Who would win a fight between a giraffe and a chimpanzee? <laughs> oh, it's a tough one, but... Uh, I've yeah. seen. Have you ever seen giraffes fighting? I saw yes, them on yes. uh, the David Attenborough documentary. Yeah, they're very good with their necks, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So they can so, do a really good clout. Exactly. If if the giraffe caught the chimpanzee with one of those, I would go with the giraffe. Okay. Uh, Steve Corey again. Uh, 
people often confuse teaching, giving instruction, brackets, versus coaching, facilitating self-discovery. In what ways does a good coach do the latter? Um, I think it's it's all about um, communication, Steve. It needs to be a, a two-way thing. And um, there needs to be flexibility in a plan. And I think the, the coach provides the framework, but also there needs to be scope for the athlete to learn for, for themselves. And uh, you need to give the athletes, let them off the leash, if you like, yes. <laughs> to to make their own mistakes and, and find out the hard way sometimes, um, but still within the coaching framework, I think. So I, I agree with his, with his analysis. Hmm. And uh, I've got another one. This one's from Steve Brammer again. This one's a bit more serious. Who coaches the coach and do you have a coach? Yeah, I've been very fortunate to work with some fantastic coaches in my time, um, both as a cyclist and a, and a runner. And um, I've, I've been very fortunate to be in teams with great runners also uh, throughout the years, both in Scotland and with Compress Sport and these kind of people. So uh, I learn from everybody. I, le- I learn from the national squad in, in Scotland. We, mm. The coach from there was actually our coach at club level. So... He's a very useful guy for me to to learn from at the time and still. And um, also for me, education is a very big thing. I'm I'm always doing various different courses, learning different methodologies. And um, it's something that's in my industry, in our industry, I think it's super important because it's a little bit like the Wild West coaching in trail running. Um, a lot of there's a lot of coaches out there who, because they're a good runner, yeah, they become a they become a coach to to facilitate their travels around the world. I think, and uh, I, I get quite a lot of clients who come to me who've previously worked with good runners, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they've been injured, and I look at what the the plan was, and it's very obvious why they got injured, and. It's very different. There's a huge difference between being a good runner and being a good coach. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And yeah, it's, it's one of my bugbears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, one of the things uh, I wanted to ask is, uh, what is good foot care? Now, this is a question I see a lot. And actually today, uh, on my run today, I was listening to a podcast uh, by uh, an Australian guy who uh, specializes in foot care and stuff like that. And he was talking about, you know, the foot has 33 joints. And uh, basically, most shoes are actually not made for the foot to be natural. The only ones that really do it are like brands like Ultra, you know, with a wide toe box and things like that. So, uh, but obviously, everyone is different and they have different needs. But what would you say is the best way of, uh, you know, keeping good care of your feet? Is it walking around barefoot as much as you can in the home or, you know, wearing slippers? It could be walking barefoot, but also specific exercises that that strengthen the arch of the foot. Um, With most people I work with, they'll do like daily good habits. It can be foam rolling, can be stretching, it can be any of these kind of things. But one of the things I ask people to do is 
just some foot and ankle drills, which uh, focus on exactly that, strengthening the bottom of the foot, um, because that goes a long way to preventing um, problems with the Achilles, problems with the plantar fascia itself. Um, yeah. yeah, the feet are super important for us because they're a point of contact with the ground. And as runners, yeah. we use them hopefully 180 times per minute. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's very often neglected. And you're right about the footwear. Um, the number one important thing for your running shoe should be that it fits your foot well rather than wanting to run in the best, most expensive carbon-plated <laughs> yeah, super yeah. shoe or something. It needs to be something that works specifically for you and, and your foot shape. Yeah. Yeah, that's one uh, One of the, the guy was talking about the he had four key points why to have a shoe. One was heat, one cold, uh, but I think the major one was comfort, uh, basically. Yeah. You know, it's got to be comfort. But the other interesting thing he pointed out is, okay, you know, you only run so many hours a week in your shoes, uh, in these shoes that you got. But you also have to take into consideration your work shoes because you spend like 40, 50 hours a week in those things. And yeah, they absolutely. are defining your feet, which I, you know, I never thought of before. I mean, I just wear flip-flops. So basically... Uh, <laughs> well, your, foot, your foot's getting a good workout in those. Yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, I have my feet open and uh, I, I barefoot in the home or in the garden, stuff like that. Although I'm not sh- I've heard it's not good to be barefoot on the marble floors. Uh, but yeah, it's very interesting things. Uh, also, you know, uh, what would you say about socks? You know, would the uh, regular socks or these twin skin socks? Uh, you know, because again, uh, it's it's really personal preference, Steve. It's some some people like these things with like individual toes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think some people are really prone to blisters, so you need to find a sock that that works specifically to to prevent that. And it's really it's just trial and error because yeah. what works for me might be terrible for someone else. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That yeah. Uh, so uh, one more thing, uh, gear. So basically, the regular gear. What, in your opinion, would you say is something that you wouldn't use? Are you not too? You don't think it's beneficial? Ooh, but a lot of people have it something i wouldn't use well personally i don't use poles but i can see the benefit of them um for me it's just uh in scotland they're they're banned so well in oh, most really? races yes yeah most races they're banned under scottish athletics rules they're they're not allowed so it's something that when you race there you're accustomed to not racing with them and yeah. I never train with them, so it's just something. But I'll be honest, when you're 100 kilometres into a race and the guy in front of you is on the poles and you're exhausted, I've been envious at points in the past. But, um, yeah, it's something something I don't use. Yeah, Um, I generally find I have it in my bag as dead weight. You know, I put them in and I think, oh, I'll try and use them. You know, everyone else seems to have them. Like in the spine, for example, everyone was using them. I just had it as dead weight in the bag and... Uh, I just couldn't be bothered getting them out. So, but it's interesting you find about Scotland because the spine race finishes in uh, Kirk Yedholm, so that's over in the Sc- over the Scottish border. So, I guess they've got to be put away <laughs> as soon as you cross the border. Well, yeah. I think you'll be okay because the spine will be licensed by UK Athletics or English Athletics or something. So, you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. 
So speaking of uh, races in that area, uh, for those that don't know, you actually do hold a race uh, in Arran, the Isle of Arran, I believe. Tell us a little bit about that. It's the greatest race in the world ever, Steve. Ever. You don't have to sell it (laughs) to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, Arran is um, an island just off the west coast of Scotland where I used to do most of my my training there because there's such a variety of terrain that I could use it to be quite specific with, with any race I was going to basically. And I decided that it would be great to, rather than me preparing there and going elsewhere to race, it'd be great to reverse that flow and have people come and train or come and race, sorry, where, where I prepare. So fortunately I met people who had a, a similar passion for it. And uh, yeah, obviously COVID has has put paid to it for a couple of years. Um, and this year we have a real problem with the ferries. So we're going to do the event again next year. So it'll be June, the third weekend in June and hmm. 2023. But it's um, it, it really is a spectacular course. It's some very exposed ridges. Um, a little bit of hands-on rock climbing, quite technical, but also some really nice, smooth, runnable trails and a little bit of beach at the beginning. And we'll be finishing at a castle. So, yeah, all oh, in all, cool. it's it's spectacular. They call um, they call Arran Scotland in miniature because it has a very mountainous north side and more flat and rolling in the south. So. If you want to see Scotland, you just have to come to this one place and you'll get it all done in a couple of days. So it's kind of like a Scottish version version of uh, Trans Gran Canaria or uh, Trans Volcania, basically, those uh, yeah, yeah. island races where you've got it, a mixture of climates in, on one little island. Exactly, exactly like that. And similar to those places, you start at the sea and mm. you... You tag various different summits and you come back down, finish at the sea again. So, yeah, it's um, it's incredible. Yeah, An amazing. And I guess e- I guess even in June, you've got to be prepared for the white stuff as well, haven't you? All that way up north. Absolutely, Steve. Actually, we we've had to cut the course because of the weather in June. <laughs> we've had to cut out. Uh, the last time we organised it, we had to cut. Yeah, out I remember the, that. The two yeah, most yeah. technical ridges. Um, because we were hit with like a, a named storm in June, of all things. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't snow, though, really, was it? No, or but just, it was gale was it force winds. winds. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, super high winds, really heavy rain. Visibility was zero. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was too dangerous. So basically for Hong Kongers, it's all the fun of running in a T8, T9, basically, with some uh, exactly. zero visibility exactly like thrown that. in, which you're not supposed to do. Let me just emphasize that. <laughs> and also it was maybe two degrees on the tops. So it was, yeah, quite chilly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, I've got one more question. Uh, again, from we've got so many Steves on my uh, WhatsApp stream here. Uh, Steve Corey's asking... What different reasons do people have for finding a coach? Um, I think we kind of touched on this at the beginning. Yeah, um, we did a bit, yeah. People, yeah, people who they could be new to the sport and they're just looking for some guidance. They, 
to minimise the the mistakes, basically. Um, or it could be someone who they've been racing for years and they've just kind of hit a plateau, but they're they're looking to improve their performance again. Um, yeah, there can be any number of reasons. Mm. Well, so for those listening who are interested, you can uh, find out more details at caseymorgan.co.uk. Uh, Casey, do you have any, I know this has been touched on, uh, uh, a lady, I'm not going to mention her name, but she knows who she is, uh, as a, uh, try to get you over for a, a running sort of session, a coaching school or coaching holiday uh, over here? You're going to stay on Lantau? Uh, is that, is that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, not yeah, going to mention her yeah, name. It's something, yeah. it's something actually, um, like we've done training camps here in Mallorca previously, and it's something that we wanted to do a lot more of until COVID came along, obviously. Yes, the, yeah, the world yeah. closed, so those kind of plans went by the wayside for a while, but it's something that we're going to be starting here again in the autumn. Um, and yeah, I would love to do one in Hong Kong and Lantau would be the perfect place to do it. So maybe, I know there's restrictions in Hong Kong at the moment make that impossible. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, impossible at the moment. Uh, maybe yeah, next year, basically, the yeah, way things ne- are going. Next year. Yeah. It's something that will definitely happen in the future. And if it could be next year, then that would be that would would be perfect. Ah, awesome. Uh, one thing I do know about you is you have a tendency to put uh, crazy ideas into people's heads. Like I was going to Tenerife for a like quiet <laughs> little wee holiday, and then you go and slam K forty two in my head. Basically, uh, are you anything behind a this? wonderful idea? Yes. Are you anything behind? There's this thing called the hand loops. There's this new thing happening. Uh, it's kind of, uh, it's loops of uh, 20, 25K, I think, 30K. Hold on, I need to find the from the guilty party, who sh- she who shall not be named, where, let's see. It's something crazy going up Lantau Peak and Sunset Peak and then all the way back down again and having to do it in seven and a half hours and then do it again, uh, and basically do it in five loops. Are you any responsibility in putting this idea into her head? You know who I mean. No, not not guilty on this occasion. I think Nikki, who shall not be named, um, <laughs> thought of this one all by herself. <laughs> no, not guilty whatsoever. Ah, uh, but... If it, if uh, the version happened next year and all this COVID rubbish had gone, would you uh, partake in it? Would it be something you would be interested in? Uh, loop things do not appeal to me in the slightest, but if Nikki was organizing it... It's all on it, trail. It's still, it's loops, Steve. <laughs> I'd like my scenery to change. That's part of the fun for me is go somewhere, do a journey... Well, Not it will change on a second because it'll be nighttime. <laughs> oh, be well. <laughs> yeah. Not, not if you yeah. do the first one fast enough. No, yeah. I'd maybe make so, an exception for Nikki. Yeah, yeah. Let's not mention her last name. <laughs> uh, so, what plan? <laughs> what plans do you have for the future then? Uh, now, because everything over there I know is open. So, uh, have you got any races on your agenda or any goals on your agenda? Yeah, I'm going to get back into racing this year, Steve. Like I, I had a few years of of trouble there with well, COVID put paid to to any plans for a yeah. long time. Yes. But, um I got injured in the World Championships in 2018, 
and yeah. I should have withdrawn from the race, but made a silly mistake and continued. Um, so I had a hamstring tendinopathy for basically two years. I couldn't get fully fit. Um, but now I'm enjoying running again, being consistent and yeah, looking to, I'll probably do some local races here, first of all, just to experience that suffering feeling again and then look to go a wee bit more international again later in the year and hopefully race in Hong Kong when things open up again. Yeah, hopefully the... uh... Hopefully there will be races there because you know the RDs. I mean they're struggling struggling financially because obviously they don't have that they've got to pay rent for all their gear that in storage yeah. and you know what was supposed to only be like two three weeks it's it's going on well we're going into our third year now uh, and I think the last big race was uh, the Hong Kong one hundred which was uh, what was that twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. There's been a couple of smaller ones since then, but uh, yeah, we we've got nothing here at the moment. It's it's supposed to not even allowed. Uh, I think it's maximum two people out in the open, and you have to be masked. And even if you're running on the trails, you've got to be masked. A difficult time, and that's why yeah, we have people coming up with uh, strange ideas and crazy loops. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might think of doing that. I might think of participating myself in. Uh, one or two so casey i just like to say thank you very much it's been great talking to you and uh uh hopefully uh we do get to see you over here uh sometime soon in hong kong uh, racing again and uh seeing some of your uh disciples hopefully steve hopefully yes otherwise yeah well i'll see you in tenerife <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah okay thanks a lot casey good talking to you cheers So that was a great interview with Casey Morgan. Uh, some really good tips for people there. Steve, he's your coach, but did you learn anything new from that interview? I learn something every time, but <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. I learned a few things, uh, it's, and it's always good, some things that I forgot about to be reminded of again and you know, just to have those, uh, those pointers. So yes, fantastic. I think what's struck at me I mean everyone's different everyone's an individual so people have different reasons for finding a coach I mean he was saying for some people the structure is good like the coach can help you get where you want to be Uh, and for some people it's a matter of holding people back like the number one problem I guess he said people have is just actually doing too much um, and overtraining yeah. So I'm the opposite. I, I never have the problem of doing too much, but uh, I know a lot of people that do crazy training volumes and maybe just overcook it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I take everything he says. He does uh, tell me sometimes, you know, you've overdone it. You know, you need to spend more time. He's a big believer in recovery and uh, having your body ready as well. So, yeah, it's oh, it's good to have these guides, these tips, these hints, and these pointers of uh, how to go about and how to structure your program. Yeah, I mean, he was talking about high intensity. So some people go to Happy Valley or somewhere and do some speed work. For me, I love the trails because of the variety of trails. I love to go A to B. I know some people don't like athletics tracks. 
Um, but I do find some very runnable trails, like the Cecils on Hong Kong Island, and try and just run that hard, at least to try and get some speed work here in, even if you're someone that doesn't like athletics tracks. So I guess still getting that variety is important and finding it somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Casey's never pushed me towards the track. I do go there sometimes, not really to do speed work, just to basically plod along. Uh, I, I, like you, I don't really, I, I mean, I prefer the track to the road because it's obviously a softer surface, but I, I get more benefits on the actual trails, the uh, more interaction, you know, being focused. Whereas, you know, on a track, uh, and the road pretty much you can just zone out and zombie out basically whereas i like to remain alert so you know for speed work or stuff like that there's a i like to go on mac 4 uh you know the bits where you once you've got to the top uh if you if you're doing it from mac 3 you do the big climb up and then you get to the uh traverse and then you just basically straight down to nong ping and then there's a side path from there uh it points out to Polo Chair, which goes straight down into Sai Kung. I just love basically bombing down there. That's a fantastic trail for me, day or night. It's brilliant. Yep. The other thing which uh, I could relate to is nutrition. So, again, it's a very personal thing. What works for other people might not work yeah. for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I mean, the one thing I learned is, is basically – don't overdo it with the carb loading the, the night before, basically, because you don't want to start, you know, bloated, basically. And the interesting thing is, I mean, he says that all the carbs you put in the night before, if you're doing a long ultra, uh, that they'll all be gone in the first few hours anyway. So, uh, but the, the main thing is, is like he says, is keep putting in 300 calories an hour and uh, basically keep it down. But everything works differently for everyone, as he said. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people love rice balls, but I find rice is really bad for me. Um, I like carrying a bag of mixed nuts and dried fruit in a Ziploc bag when I'm on a race. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it took me a long time to find out what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, you've got to use your practice runs to figure out what yeah, works. Yeah, you do. Yeah, nutrition is a very personal thing. So uh, there's certain things, like I like the gels, but I like more of the aqua. There's a high-five aqua. Uh, which I much prefer than that uh, gooey sort of gel stuff. Uh, ginger tea is another one I quite like. But uh, what I said to, like I said on the interview, I keep away from meat. I don't want any meat. Uh, if it's Coca Cola, small two or three swigs, but I won't take any more because the last thing I want is a bloated stomach from a full can of Coke. But as you know, everyone's different. Uh, you go to races in the UK, for example. You go to checkpoints and you see pork pies and uh, you know, all these various <laughs> meat dishes and stews and things yeah, like that. Pizza. Yeah, even on the spine, there's one certain checkpoint. They're famous for their lasagna. So <laughs> you think, why would you have a lasagna halfway through a long ultra? So, But, uh, yeah, each to their own, each to their own. And basically having a coach can basically give you the pointers of, you know, what's good for you, what's better, what you should and what you shouldn't do, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what's available at a checkpoint, never, ever take something for the first time during a race. Make sure you've tested it. Anyway, um, so great tips there from Casey. Now to our second interviewee for this podcast. So prior to... A week or so ago, uh, be fair to say, not too many people in the trail community knew Betty Grissoni, but that's certainly changed. She's become a bit of a social media sensation in the last she, week. She so, got in the paper. She got in the papers as well. 
Uh, South China Morning Post uh, did an article on her. Yeah, they beat us beat us to it. Um, <laughs> reading a Facebook post here, she just ran her first 50 at Hong Kong 50 West virtual race. Um, so she wrote she used to be very unhealthy at 130 kg and not able to move much, uh, depression, anxiety. She's just turned 50 not that long ago and was facing a future of uh, life on pills. So she thought, well, that's not good. So she'll do something about it. So let's listen to her story. Betty, who just finished her first 50K. Betty, it's great to have you on board. Me and Steve uh, have a number of questions we want to ask you because you cause quite a social media uh, sensation. Just want to ask, you finished your first 50K. How did it feel when you crossed that finish line? Well, first, I want to say thank you for inviting me. Um, I mentioned uh, before that I do I have listened to your podcast and um, as a little Padawan or apprentice, I did get a lot of really good tips before doing it. How I felt after finishing. Um, well, <laughs> my partner was waiting for me because it's, it was a virtual race. So there's nobody, you know, no, no big drama at the, at the end. And she just took a video. And I think the first thing I say is like, I'm, I finished. And one of the things I said is like, I, I am now officially a, um, ultra trail runner. So, and then, tears came out into my eyes, which was very surprised. I wasn't sad or I wasn't, you know, so it's quite emotional. Um, yeah, that was, that was quite interesting. I mean, it's been a bit of a dream. Uh, and I mean, to ever, ever call myself uh, an ultra trail runner was quite, quite a bit of a dream and it's, I've, I've done it. And so that's what it was. It's like, yeah, it's done. Hmm. So yeah, it was a, a relief. I was, yeah, I was like, yeah. So now what's next? <laughs> That's, That's great, Betty. And I remember when I did my first 50K and crossed the finish line, it's kind of like graduating from university or getting your first job. You know? In terms of trail running, it's a major milestone. So well done. I agree. I agree. And I, that's what I said. I, see, I saw like, quite a few uh, videos and I listened to a few things and, and, and read a few articles, apparently. And what did, I think someone said, you never you never get that same feeling again and you always look for that same feeling. So I try to really kind of, you know, make sure I, I embraced it. And uh, no, it was it was it was good. It was it was good. And uh, I yeah, I, I, it was emotional. Yeah, Trust me, you will emotional. get. Yeah, you will get that same feeling again in future races. Trust me. I will or I will not. <laughs> yes, you will. You will. Don't worry. Good. Especially when you Good. do your first hundred. Yes, yes, and or especially in my first actual race with actual people, um, and that's uh, that's something because I I did it by myself. Um, so was that was a challenge I wanted to put to myself, and I I think I chose quite a a little bit of a tricky course um and i think the action action asia uh, team must have had the ears ringing really loudly because i was like what <laughs> even though I, t I did a i did a few runs around that area i still lost myself about a million times but that's the thing so i was by myself and i finished by myself so it was like yeah okay it's just me so i think in my first race and i'm actually planning to do a, a real one in july 
So that's going to be something different. Yeah. Great. It's well, certainly a great feeling running in a herd of runners in a, in a group. So, Betty, I presume then that was your longest run to date and yes. considering you're running on your own. So what were you thinking? Were you, uh, was there some self-talk going on in your mind where you're encouraging yourself along? I mean, what messages were you giving yourself? I think it was, um, I'm a really stubborn lady and I heard somewhere uh, that you have to be a stubborn, really stubborn person to be a trail runner. Um, I spent a lot of time not losing myself in the course um as i say i think the terrain was a little bit complicated and um like not losing myself and just um, my my i had a good watch i, I thought i did at 38k it decided to just shut down um so even though my battery was full everything was good it shut down so I, after 38k i was basically head on my phone and not trying to lose my way um, so it was actually, <laughs> I spent a lot of time doing that, uh, where I'm going and, and just kind of like, and then quite enjoying myself. Also on Tuesday, there was a bushfire somewhere. And, um, when I was near the reservoir, there were, um, helicopters propelling and gathering water for about, I don't know, three hours around the area. And it was massively loud. <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, just just continue, just run and do your thing. Um, so it was a bit, yeah. So yeah, not losing myself and just trying to keep good. Like body was fine. Uh, physically, I was actually quite good, uh, but it was just more like the environment. It was a little bit, a little bit scary. But I think, I, yeah, someone said to me, "There's always something that's not going completely right when you do a, a run or a race." I think for me it was my watch and then those helicopters they were just buzzing all afternoon <laughs> just wondering uh, as yes. a fellow person that uh, i read your story on facebook yes. and it's very inspiring and i can relate a lot to it being someone that used to be over 125 kilos myself mm -hmm. and you know making that decision to go from uh you know virtually a couch potato to doing something like running a 50k uh what prompted you to do this did you have like a a moment or something like that just to explain for me basically uh it was a number of years ago i went on a hike with hong kong hikers and we went on peng chow the little island peng chow and there's a hill there called i think it's called finger hill or something it's only 100 meters going up and there's a staircase and I had to take three stops to get to the top. And I was out of breath. My heart was racing. And I basically, my moment was, I need to sort myself out. My health is not in good shape. And uh, what shall I do to improve this? For, for me, that was my moment. So for you, when did you come to this decision to start, you know, get into trail running? I think trail running came a little bit after um, a decision to put my health back in order. Um, I was, I mean, I was a very, very unhealthy lady. And when I say unhealthy, I mean, I was, I was very overweight and there, I mean, and I don't want to fat shame anybody. I think some people are overweight by, you know, our, our society standard might be healthy. I was not. Um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't walk properly. I mean, not even like going hiking, like, I, like going from, you know, my house to the bus stop was a challenge. Um, and so, and I think for me, my moment was I was going to turn 50 
And so at 49, I was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> um, so what, what's now? I mean, I have to make a decision. Uh, either, either I become extremely ill um, very soon or I, uh, you know, I have to do something. So, and I think for me, one of my moments, and it has nothing to do with sport, but it has something to do with Hong Kong. I went to one of the big music festival that starts with a C. I can, I don't, I don't know if I can mention it. And then, like one of on on Monday morning, I was just completely dead. And I so basically my my moment was. I'm going to turn 50 in a few months. I have to sort my, myself out. And I went to a, I, I did a major checkup because I thought I had multiple cancers and everything. And uh, I had a lovely doctor who told me that um, I was fine, but I had extremely high cholesterol. And at a 50 years old, um, you know, there's nothing I could do about it, but just take um, drugs for life. And I just went. This is that was my moment. That went mm, really, so I went home and I cried, and then I just said, "There's something I can do." I mean, I'm still healthy. I don't have anything that's majorly wrong with me. Luckily, I don't know how that happened, and then that just changed my life. Like, I think I literally changed my life from having a very standard Hong Kong life, going out every night, restaurant every night, working twelve hours a day. Um, just completely, completely forgetting about my body to waking up at five and, you know, stop completely alcohol, just became vegetarian, um, counted my calories, count my food, count my macros, go for a run. And so it started like that. And then I started to have um, results, like I started losing weight and I started to have to want to be active. But then COVID happened. Um, and terrible thing to say but somehow COVID and allowed me to not to go to restaurants and not to kind of be too 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 social so um even though I one of my first sport was swimming as a very large person um I couldn't go to a gym first of all I, I don't think I would have been able to actually go to a gym as like you know as a large person not not something you really want to do i started swimming um but then the swimming pool got closed down and i just thought so what now what do i do so i, I walked i started walking um and i'm lucky enough to live in a beautiful part of of hong kong i live in Taipo, so you have yeah so i'm actually um i live just at the bottom of passing lang and for me, passing lane one of those one of those one of those things I had to do. And one day I did it, and it was like, okay, it was not that hard. And then I thought, what about starting running? And I, <laughs> one of my friends, so it's um, I'm good friends with the organizers of the the Pride Run. So it's a it's a little race that I mean, um, LGBTQ race that was organized in November. 2019 the last one and they say why don't you join the race and I'm like well I can't run I might walk it and I walked it and it's around Aberdeen Reservoir and it was lovely and I was like okay well this is this is actually quite nice and then I remember I downloaded an app I mean everybody's laughing at my thing but there's an app and there's actually a few of them so I think I can mention it and it's called uh, Couch to 5k oh yes yeah and it's it's 
I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's like, it's for lazy people. You just go down, you put whatever shoes on and you put your earphone and they tell you what to do. So you say, you know, you run for five minutes and then you walk for 10. So it's like quite simple. And they, so I think the program is like over three months or something. And because I was quite, I have nothing else to really do. I just kind of started. And instead of running like three times a week, I ran every day. I did the thing every day. And then I did my first 5K. And that was crazy for me. It's like I, even when I was a kid, I didn't run. I mean, I, I was never been a healthy or sporty person. And I was like, hang on, that's you know. And this is kind of started from from there. And because um, so, Dennis Phillips is one of my close friends, and he was a you know a trail runner. He was like, well, you know, this this, and I just kind of went out with him a couple of times. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then one of my thing and. You don't know me, so I or you haven't known me yet. But I would just send messages to people I don't know, and ask them for advice. So um, maybe some of you listeners might have gotten my my messages about shoes and like just I'm one of those people. I just ask, and um, the community is amazing. I have some amazing people helping me, um, and then I joined a couple of times this amazing group called the um, Asia Trail running girls and they have like some social runs and it was amazing uh, just to have people from different background but most I mean all women and I joined that and just went from there and then I thought what about 20k and then what about and I just thought it just kind of like moved and when uh, Steve I think you you relate to that when you start when you start being more active and then when you when you your body is feels healthier you just want to move you want to do something yeah yep. um and beside my physical health i i i, I dealt with a lot of um mental health issues i dealt with debilitated um yeah, depressions and anxiety and things and been on medication i was on medication and i realized that actually going outside and doing something physical with a goal like doesn't ha didn't have to be a very big one that's really 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 helpful um and so that's how it went and i stopped my medic i'm not saying that's for everyone i'm not saying um running is you know a miracle but it was good for me it just helped me to set some goals and it's when you when you're in a deep depression sometimes small goals as what are what you need and when you actually get to these goals is something quite quite positive so this is how i worked and this is this is how i got myself to 50k um and i will continue so yeah i think it's and just being outside um i mean covid was raging or is still raging but it was lots of things happening i would just put my earphone on and just go in a beautiful beautiful part of hong kong which is typo so that's kind of how yeah so I, I did lots of running and i still do a lot of running by myself uh which is i don't know if it's good or bad but that's that's what what i enjoy so yeah well, we're certainly lucky even though gyms are closed and restaurants after 6 p.m that the trails are still there hopefully yeah. we'll always be able to access them absolutely so so, Betty, you've touched upon it a bit already, but I'm, I'm really keen to know just the, the transformation you've had, which trail running's obviously played a major part in. I mean, mm. has that 
Does that change things for you outside running as well in terms of motivation, happiness, goal setting, whether that be just in career, personal life, whatever? I mean, I think I changed. I mean, I, I already changed my life before, but now, um, I mean, I wake up at five every day to go for a run. If you told me this, 10 years ago, I would have just whacked you in the head. I would have said, she's crazy. But the simple things of running in sunrise, I mean, it's simple, huh? Like, it's just amazing. And I think with trail running, I've realized that, and I think also, so I'm, I'm now 52, so I started my, my health journey two years ago. Um, and when you get to a certain age, um, I think you, and it was good for me to simplify my life. I mean, with trail running, you have to keep it things quite simple and quite focused. Um, and so you, you know, you have to take your, and I'm going to be vulgar, but you have to take your head out of your backside to be able to focus. And to, I mean, literally, what what is going out of a depression? What is going up? You know, becoming healthy is just to move forward and to put one foot in front of the other. And that's what train running is. And sometimes there's a big hill and you're not you're not able to run it, but you have to walk it or you have to go, but you have to go somewhere because you're in the middle of nowhere anyway. And that's what I was saying to myself when I was doing my 50K. It's like, well, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have to go somewhere. This I cannot just go and take a bus. So it's kind of the same thing. And and through this, um, so I'm I'm actually changing career as well. So I'm now training to be a personal coach because I, I, I would have loved to meet me when I was actually starting my journey. Um, um, someone that's actually been through a transformation. So that's what I'm actually planning to do. So I now have my, my next career planned. Oh, that sounds great. So you've touched on that you're 52 years old yes, uh, yes. Say 1970 I guess you were yes, born indeed okay same as me here as well oh, okay. but, uh, yeah just as a another there's another famous person that's exactly the same age uh, and yet she's gone along and she's done the four trails twice I won't mention yes. her name but she yes, knows who yes. she is so it's it's basically it's a message is out there you know no matter your age, your weight, or anything, you can get out there and do fantastic things, you know, phenomenal things that you never exactly. dreamed were possible before. So what I like to say is, you know, what does it mean to you now, uh, trail running? You know, you know, has it changed you a lot? And what does it mean to you? Um, well, I guess it's I never thought it was going to be my, my, my sports of choice. I remember when I started my health journey, I was swimming a lot and, and then it kind of happened. I think it's also because I'm, 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 we live in Hong Kong and it's, it's a fairly, I was going to say easy, reachable um, sport, but then, and that's what I thought at the beginning. And then I found the community. And as I'm, I, I did mention a couple of times before, I mean, men also but there's some women out there and it's just that community is amazing and um when i was asking my silly questions i mean sometimes i'm reading myself and i'm like oh okay great um but people were like really happy to to answer me and even when i posted that 
I mean, I did. I made a little um, post on social media on Tuesday when I finished my, my Wednesday morning when I finished my 50k. I have people that reply or kind of like mention me and complimenting me that are actually, you know, they've done amazing things, trail runners, and and I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. Um, so it, yeah, it means a lot because yeah, people are kind of the community. It also means a lot because now it's it's just part of my identity. Really, it's just crazy at fifty, you find something, um, but it's just yeah. I I I mean, I did my fifty k on Tuesday. I had to go for a run today. Like I, my body is like you know you have to do that. Also, one of the things that's quite interesting. So, as you can hear from my accent, I'm French, but I come from a the most beautiful island in the world, of course, is Corsica. Okay, so my ancestry, so on my on my, my dad's life, um, my dad's side, were shepherd in the mountain of Corsica. So mm, where they were actually trail runners by trade. I mean, you know, they and I don't know if you know about Corsica, but it's quite a high mountain. It's it's quite yes, rugged. Yes, yeah. Um, and so that's what I have that in my blood. And my father, who is a very healthy 90 years old man, still he doesn't run, no, but he still goes up and down some mountain. So it's actually somehow somewhere was deep inside me, and I was a, when I was a kid, I remember they were sending us up the mountain. You know that was the thing they wanted us to do. So it's kind of like I, I went back to my and now what I want to do now is I want to go back and we already have a house there, and this is something I want to continue, but go back to my roots. So um, it's kind of has a, a little bit of a loop, which is a very interesting one. So yeah, so and I think. I mean, I will just continue this until I can't. You know, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, if you ask me what I want to do next, I'm like, yeah, where's my next 50? And I, I'm, I'm signing up for... Actually, that's... The idea is, if all goes well, I'll go back to Corsica in July and there is an, a UTMB event called um, Restonica Rest Trail and I want to sign up for that. Oh, best of luck. Mm. That sounds great. I'm sure a lot of people in Hong Kong are keen to go out and do races mm. you know, as soon as we can. Maybe mm. in the future you could host a trail running retreat in Corsica. I'll, I'll you come. know what? It's yeah. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a famous um, location. But I would, it, you know, it's it's a lot of people from uh, you know um, other countries might not know about Corsica. So this is kind of a it could be an idea. Yes, beautiful part of the world. So, yeah, I'd love to explore there. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times already, Betty, that you got mm -hmm. a lot of advice from members of the community and you found the community really great as you were learning about running. Amazing. And you also mentioned you would love to uh, go back and talk to yourself of three years ago. Um, so if there's someone who's in a similar situation that you were in, it's perhaps um, – have some health issues or, or not fit at the moment, but is looking to start, but maybe is having doubts. So what advice would you give to someone in that position? I already have a few people uh, reaching out to me uh, with that question. Um, so the first thing I would say, I am not a, I'm not a, a medical practitioner or anything. So I think the first thing people need to do is um, just kind of make sure they can do it. There's nothing extremely wrong with them. Uh, I think that's a safety issue. Uh, I think it's the first thing you want you have to do. 
to make sure you know your muscles or you know and then just go for it like especially if you're in hong kong or even if you're anywhere um just get yourself a pair of shoes doesn't have to be the crazy prices of the shoes we buy <laughs> by the way <laughs> uh just just get out um and and just 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 i mean one step at a time that's what i did one step at a time it was like i mean i don't know i, I just i think i think when I, the first time i did the dragon's back i was like i'm gonna die but you know well you mm. don't and so just little by little and don't hesitate to ask questions um one of the thing i also did but i think this is a little bit of my my way i did a lot of research so i watched a lot of videos and youtube videos and i watched you i mean i watched i listened to you guys because i think listening to people who have experienced and who've been doing the sport for a while it's just super helpful i got a lot of really good tips from your conversation i think you mentioned i think a couple of times you mentioned races and things and even though very very different level um you always get something out of it so yeah listen to people um watch i mean i watch so many videos <laughs> there's a very good a british channel called the running channel with really good tips and um they have people different shapes and different gender and yeah so that's the thing and also i think one thing i ha and i have to remind myself that is don't compare yourself like if you're on a trail or just you cannot go uphill and you have to stop and then if you have someone passing by you running down or you know and just don't compare yourself and this is something i'm actually still working on yeah so yeah that is something yeah so just a couple of quick questions yes how many shoes do you have how many pairs of shoes uh, <laughs> just want to gauge how serious your running problem is <laughs> This is what someone the other day asked me. I said, I, I would say, oh, am I, because when I did my first race, it's called the Tiger Race around here. And then I said, oh, I think now I'm, a, I'm officially a trail runner. And then someone said, I think you know who it is. He said, oh, how many shoes do you have to see how serious you are? The same question. Um, now I think I only have three uh, because I grade them. Like I, I, I basically, when I have a pair of shoes, I run quite a bit, so they just completely grate it out, and I throw them away. It's not cheap. It's not mm. cheap. Well, you got. Oh, I'm not sure if you can your consumption vouchers. Whether you can get some more new ones. I have that number five on my list. You know what I'm talking uh, about. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, what goals do you have now for the future? I mean, are you going to go for a hundred k, or are you yes, going to go for definitely. yes? I mean, I want to continue. I mean, one of the things was, I think you asked me earlier, what did I feel during the race? Like, so I did some running by myself and with some other people, um, kind of long runs, but I find the racing bit is a psychological where you have to kick your backside and say, you have to finish this thing. Like, so I'm not competing against other people, but it's like finishing some it's like what you, you it's not even that expensive and when you pay for something when you say and it's kind of organized and then you have to send new thing it makes it so um i quite kind of like that and i remember the tiger race i done i came six female i'm like i don't know if that's mm. possible i think a lot of the ladies just hiking it i guess so i was like so i kind of like 
it's a little bit competitive, uh, but it's competition against yourself. Yeah, sure. Mm. Um, another thing I would like to do is, um, I, it just sounds a bit a bit um, braggy, but I don't mind sharing my experience because, in a way, is what I've done is not extraordinary. But if I looked at where I was two years ago, I would have thought it was extraordinary. And I think this is something that I don't mind just sharing. You know, maybe with younger people or maybe with people that think that's, you know, sometimes there's, our society thinks that women at 50 are, you know, a little bit something that we have to put on shelf. And I think we we kick asses, sorry, I can say that. To the average person in the street, running a 50K is extraordinary. So well done. And a lot of people just don't have that concept. But I think you've proved that anyone can do it. 56.2K. Right, even more. So I think anyone can do it, regardless of your age uh, and what condition you're in previously. It's just a matter of taking that first step and building step by step. So I'm sure a lot of people will be inspired by your story, Betty. So... Yeah, it's it's great. Really appreciate being able to chat with you and hearing your story. So thank you so much and well done. And uh, look forward to hearing what you do in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I mean, I've been listening to you interviewing some amazing people. I cannot believe I'm one of them. So it's... Well, just one thing. One thing. I will pass on your message to uh, Jeff and... uh, John Ellis, about you wanting to be the backup female Soko to this uh, boy band. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I so mean, I, can... I know Jeff can run a marathon in under two hours 30, but it's taken him a bit longer to get this song out. Well, if they need, uh, you know, some 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 French book vocals at the back, I, I'll join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Betty, it's been a pleasure. It's been really great uh, hearing from you and uh, hope to catch you out on the trails for a run. I hope so too. What what an inspiring story. I think the key point there is trail running's for anyone. You don't have to be a Jeff Campbell or a Wong Ho Chung. Uh, age doesn't really matter. Body shape doesn't really matter when you start. I mean, trail running's something for everyone. Well, you know, it's inspirational. And a lot of us started uh, that way. I mean, me, myself, uh, I started that way being overweight and just started eased into it slowly. And then first hiking, then trail running, and then getting into ultra races, things like that. But it just goes to show you that basically it doesn't matter. Anyone can do this. You know, if if you are that overweight and uh, that's, you know, your mobility or your motivation is that low, you can build on it. You know, the simple Couch to 5K program, as Betty mentioned, you know, you get that app. Uh, anyone can do it, literally, you know. So it's, it's phenomenal and it's so great to hear these type of stories. Yeah, so just set your own goals. I mean, like some people go out to be competitive, Almost any trail race has age group categories, so you can be competitive in different age groups as well. But your goal might just be to join races and finish, beat the cutoff times. I know some people that are not that interested in races and are happy just to go out and run socially. Mm, So, yeah, yeah, set your own goals. But Uh, do you you remember when you did your first 50K? How did it feel when you crossed the finish line? 
Oh, amazing. I was so, so thrilled because like I said to Betty, you know, I felt like I'd graduated as a trail runner. I yeah. thought before then, you know, it's just building up. It was uh, baby steps really. But I think when I finished a 50 K, I felt I'd become a trail running adult. Yes. You felt all grown up. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, and let's see uh when she'll do her first hundred. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, she's only done virtual races because she's only been running for two years. So for her, it'll be great to go to Corsica. I think she said she's planning yeah, to race yeah. in July. So it'll be an extra sweet moment for her to join her first Race. Yeah, she, she is going to be blown away with the atmosphere and the organisation. How you know how life is practically normal over there with races going along in Europe at the moment. So yes, uh, she's going to have a fantastic journey. Yeah, I mean, uh, normally during this podcast we talk about what's coming up in Hong Kong. Sadly, nobody knows. We can only hope. Apparently, a lot of race directors do have dates planned for races next winter. If races were to come back, there will be a full schedule of races again. But of course, we've got a new chief executive soon. We're going to have to see, you yeah, know, see what happens. Yeah. Just what happens in terms of rules and regulations. So we can just hope at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see how it goes. But did you see that uh, Translanta has got a date now? Uh, there, I think it's April 20th or 22nd. I didn't see, but uh, registration starts for Translanta. Yeah, if you had a uh, – I was registered last time in 2020, I guess it was now. Um, mm. So if you already had an entry, there's a pre-registration, you know, it opens for anyone soon. But I do see there's a disclaimer in there what happens if it has to go virtual? Yes, so yeah, yeah. We really hope not. Um, but they've got, they got four races. Well, they got four distances. They got the 25, the 50, the 100, and the new one, which is the 140. Yeah, I have to be interesting to see what extra loop that is. I haven't looked at the course maps yet. You don't get any extra loop. You get, a, I think you get an extra stone. <laughs> no, I mean, what's the difference, the 100 and the 140? Uh, yeah, I had a quick look. Yeah, there are some interesting uh, on the trails. I've had a quick look at the map. The thing is, that it's highly unlikely I'll be here in November. I'll probably be over in uh, Qatar or Tenerife. Uh, so, you know, it's highly unlikely I'll be here, so I'll be missing out on it. But, yeah, I had a good look at the race, uh, the maps, and it does look a very interesting uh, course. Right. Well, yeah, when, uh, as things evolve, we will cover it in future podcasts and in the newsletter, which we hope all members of track have been receiving. Um, so, yeah, just look forward to good news. Hopefully, yeah, and, and summer running. Yep, yeah, and don't forget to sign up at www.trahk.org. So the membership's, uh, it's only 100 bucks a, a year, so it's, uh, it's worth it. Uh, we used to give... Uh, then we have giveaways at one time uh, before for certain uh, places in races. Obviously, when races get going ahead, ahead, hopefully we get those going again. But in the meantime, yes, it's great to sign up, be a member, and have your voice heard. Exactly. Well, Steve, I think that's a wrap for uh, episode 11. It's been fun as always, and look forward to the next one. Yes, look forward to it, and uh, talk to you again soon. 